Welcome to That's the Word, Wholesome Tales from the Whole Family. I'm Father James Yamauchi. Today's story, The Bishop's Defeat. Turning from his desk, Bishop Peter glanced out of the office window, his deep blue eyes captivated by the October sunset. The scene was a perfect allegory for his present situation. Peter's life felt like a sunset. The letter on his desk reflected that. As he reviewed the letter one last time before signing it, so many doubts filled Peter's head, though he knew this was the right thing to do. It would be an understatement to say that things were not going well in the diocese over the past three years of his leadership. Many were delightfully surprised that someone with Peter's incredible qualifications and reputation would be sent to their diocese. 3,000 people greeted the new bishop when he arrived at the airport. Peter saw the opportunity to make this diocese a model for the wider church by implementing reforms with a steadfast fidelity to doctrine and discipline. His initial days were promising, but he proved to be a poor administrator. Peter knew as he signed the letter that his only option was to resign. Peter was not popular among his brother bishops, perhaps due to a spat some years before with an influential bishop. Some in his diocese disliked Peter's outspoken defense of traditional doctrine and morality. Others in his flock wished he did not weigh into social and political issues. On both sides, he caused controversy and lost financial contributions to the diocese. His popular support evaporated when he unilaterally decided to give a parish and its property to the government to provide housing to the poor. Peter was disappointed with himself and his flock and acknowledged his own poor management style. Peter looked at the completed letter with his signature and thought to himself, I've moved too fast. I'm a little too progressive. Ten years after his resignation, Peter was coming to the end of his life. Despite difficulties with his health, he accepted the invitation to attend the audience of the Pope who was visiting the local cathedral. The bishop was placed in a secluded section away from the public eye. When the Pope arrived, he was warmly greeted by the crowd as he made his way down the main aisle of the cathedral. He climbed the steps to the main altar and looked around the sanctuary at the distinguished group of bishops that were assembled. Suddenly, the Pope stopped in his tracks and quietly asked, Where is Bishop Peter? The Pope would not proceed until Peter was summoned. In a matter of minutes, the slender bishop emerged to the delight of all in the cathedral, who responded to his presence with a seven-minute 
standing ovation. Then the Pope approached Peter. Despite his age and condition, Peter managed to kneel, his face grimacing as his knees hit the marble floor. The Pope quickly bent over to help Peter to his feet and embraced him with these words. You have written and spoken well of the Lord Jesus. You are a loyal son of the church. These words were spoken to the author of over 60 books, a man credited for raising awareness and millions of dollars to support the less fortunate in the world, and a staunch critic of the rise of modern communism. The bishop was no stranger to controversy when he refused to comply with an unethical request for money from an archbishop, nor was he a stranger to failure during his own time as the Bishop of Rochester, a post he eventually resigned. The priest and bishop who was featured on the cover of Time magazine won two Emmy Awards, and two months prior to his own death, was honored by Pope John Paul II at St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City. A priest, known not by his given name of Peter, but by his mother's maiden name. An archbishop named Fulton J. Sheen. And for this week, that's the word. The last thing Archbishop Sheen is known for is somebody who was not successful. And so it was very fascinating to find out his failures, or at least his weaknesses when it came to running a diocese of his own for three years as the Bishop of Rochester. But it also reminds us as Christians that we can always have hope, right? That even when we do find ourselves in a moment of defeat, so to speak, that uh, we can always learn from our mistakes. We can always learn from the cross. And he still had 10 more years of his life after his resignation, in which he wrote a very famous piece of work, The Life of Christ, continued to give um, talks and retreats. In fact, it was during that period after he resigned that he got the title Archbishop uh, from Paul VI. And he actually gave a retreat at Holy Trinity Seminary in the 70s, which is recorded. I, I don't think it's widely distributed, but he came to the local seminary where I'm assigned at now and gave a retreat. So even though he had this moment of defeat, or as we said in the story, sunset, he still had a lot to give to the church, built upon many, many years of good, fruitful labor. Absolutely. And that's actually an excellent recommendation. If you're looking to read some of Archbishop Sheen's work, watch his show first, but then also uh, you can look at the book Life of Christ, which is an excellent uh, treatise on the Gospels. And for those of you who don't know, his show is called Life is Worth Living. And I'm pretty sure you can find it through EWTN, even on their YouTube page. Or just YouTube in general. Or YouTube in general. So then they're fascinating shows if you've never seen them. A half hour long and and was distributed across the United States. Yeah, remember this is a time when there's only three television stations. Yeah. And the fact that he won a couple of Emmys. One thing I will share, our paternal grandfather, who 
was not Catholic and only got baptized, I think, uh, in the 90s as a Protestant, he remembers clearly watching, he grew up in Hawaii, uh, clearly watching Fulton Sheen as a kid with his family. So, I mean, whether you were Catholic or not, people knew who Fulton J. Sheen was. And we have a mailbag question. Awesome. So, Ray asks, or first he tells us about uh area in Allegheny State Park called Thunder Rocks, where he spent uh, a lot of time with his family. And he asks, anyway, because Thunder Rocks is in so much of my history, I am very interested in the hearing and about and learning the meaning and symbolism and anything else that might make me say cool or give me goosebumps about Sons of Thunder Rock and all the things that led up to and defined that name. If you could, please. Wonderful. Yeah, Sons of Thunder Rock, uh, it basically is the names of our patron saints. So I am named after the Apostle St. James, and John Peter is named after the Apostles John and Peter. And we know from Luke's gospel that Jesus calls James and John the Sons of Thunder. They were brothers. So that's where you get James, John, Sons of Thunder. And then Peter, of course, we know was given the name of Rock, Kepha, Peter. His original name was Simon, turned to Peter. And so that's how we get Sons of Thunder, Rock. So it basically is just our patron saints. Yeah, he asks in this email if it's Sons of Thunder, Rock, or Sons of Thunder, Rock. And going along with what you're saying, our name came about as Sons of Thunder, Rock, although I think about it as Sons of Thunder Rock, just because as a whole name, that sounds like it makes more sense. That's true. But yeah, it all comes back to going back to the apostles. And of course, they were great storytellers of being able to tell the story of Christ and present the gospel to the whole known world at that moment. And so they're definitely inspirations from us, not just as apostles, but also as evangelizers. If you enjoy That's the Word, please share the word. You can sign up for our weekly newsletter at sonsofthunderrock.com. That's also where you can find our social links in our email if you have any feedback like Ray did. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next Wednesday for another wholesome tale for the whole family.